Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Patrick Henningsen talks on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT, today's News Talk. Welcome to this live broadcast here on Wednesday. This week is going to be a momentous week, no doubt. Uh, it looks like there's been some sea changes uh, in the situation in the Middle East. We'll try to cover some of those developments. We'll be joined in the first hour. Very pleased, actually. Uh, we're going to be joined by Freddie Ponton. Really excited about this. Uh, Freddie's been on slight hiatus in recent weeks, so uh, he looks like he's getting back to fighting form. Uh, very happy that Freddie's going to join us with some new intelligence breaking uh, out of Gaza. Of course, uh, while Freddie's been away, he's been uh, researching feverishly and uh, has been gaining a lot of traction on the ex-Twitter platform. As we said previously, a lot of influential accounts are now uh, retweeting the work of Freddie Ponton because his work is absolutely spot on. It's never been more on point than he is on this issue. So we'll talk to him about the new breaking developments and new intelligence that uh, is going to be somewhat of a revelation. Look forward to that discussion and in the second hour we're going to be joined by author noted journalist and author Hala Jabber author of Hezbollah born with a vengeance uh, she's one of the foremost authorities on this area of the Middle East particularly we're talking about South Lebanon and the Israeli occupied territories but also what's happening in Gaza with the hostage swaps that are going on the ceasefire Hala's got an inside track on the latest developments we have breaking news on that very controversial we'll touch on this hot story in the second hour and you know very pleased that we're able to do uh, breaking news and analysis on developing things uh, on the ground there in the middle east um, and uh, we we can only do that with uh, your listenership and your support as well and thank you to everybody in the tnt chat room uh, it's great to see you guys in there. We'll be hopefully interacting with you in due course. Uh, it's busy on the news feeds, though, folks. So uh, excuse us if we don't have time to drop some of the uh, memes and uh, links in our TNT chat community. But we love our chat community, a burgeoning group of people there. And hopefully we get those numbers up during the course of this live broadcast. I'm Patrick Henningsen, again, your host. You're listening to TNT, today's news talk. Now, um, on the international front, uh, there is much talk. Well, we'll we'll get into the U.S. election in the second hour, and there's been some interesting developments there. Just looking at the polling on the GOP side, we've been watching Harris, uh, Quinnipiac, uh, and some of the other major polls. And what we found is on the GOP side, Ron DeSantis, who, let's just say uh, six months ago, was the uh, presumptive challenger on the republican side if you if you took this poll a year ago one year ago the trump campaign seemed to be underwater kind of just kind of drifting into irrelevance and it wasn't till the lawfare was launched against the 45th president donald trump all these indictments have come from uh, either the sort of local uh in jurisdictions in new york city and then the federal level and then georgia and these other states so they've 
basically launched a barrage of cases against Trump. So as soon as those attacks started, then Donald Trump started surging in the polls. Ron DeSantis was was actually looking like he had a chance to uh, challenge on parity Donald Trump uh, about a year ago, I would say, when things were really kind of dark and dull, dull for the Trump camp. And that's all changed now. The base has got behind him because of the attacks, the legal attacks, uh, on Donald Trump. So his popularity has actually surged as a result, as we reported at the time. But now Ron DeSantis's campaign looks like it's flatlined. He's absolutely hit a wall uh, and he's said and done a number of things, questionable things on the debates. He's also been caught on camera as wearing sort of high heel boots and not to, you know, disparage anybody who is you know vertically challenged but uh why would a presidential candidate want to be caught wearing high heel boots and those couple of extra inches um, when he's been exposed on stage with the trouser legs up a few inches enough to see literally black leather chelsea boots uh on a suit not a great look cowboy boots not really standard fare in florida maybe in oklahoma maybe in texas uh, maybe south dakota montana but not in florida so why is this just to make him look taller and the problem is you know if you're going to be president of the united states other world leaders are looking at this and saying why is this guy wearing high heels is he does he have a napoleon complex or something it's a bit of a problem it's a bad look even for small countries so vladimir putin himself is not that tall but he doesn't wear chelsea boots flamenco boots so it's a bad look for DeSantis, and hence his popularity has been absolutely plummeting probably because he doesn't have a lot that's compelling to say he's really been overshadowed in the gop debates by vivek ramaswamy who's been kind of an insurgent challenger there although he's not likely to get the nominee but at 38 years old or however he's quite young 37 38 he's probably got a few good years ahead of him but nikki haley uh, former UN ambassador under Trump, former governor of South Carolina. She surged ahead. Looks like she's neck and neck now and passing Ron DeSantis. So number two challenger on the GOP side is Nikki Haley. She's still miles away from Donald Trump, st you know, literally like years away in terms of percentage numbers. I think Trump has probably a comfortable 20 to, to to 25 point lead i mean this is this is an uh, insurmountable gap uh in political terms so he does have a comfortable lead there but the donor class is definitely getting behind nikki haley donor class is also getting behind ron DeSantis, but they burned quite a quite a bit of money there and they're probably realizing at this point they're not going to get an roi uh on DeSantis uh come next summer after the uh convention convenes uh, it just looks like it's not going to happen he he'll be lucky to get a handful of delegates he'll probably get as many delegates he might end up getting as many delegates as you know uh pete Buttigieg or something like that back in the 2020 uh, democratic race so not looking good for desantis they have absolutely ripped through tens of millions hundreds of millions of dollars in fact so the donors must not be too happy at all so that's an interesting development that does tell you that uh you know fighting a three-front war this is something that biden leaked out and blinken's also alluded to this 
So when you, you know, at that level, the U.S. foreign policy, there's absolute continuity between the two parties. The only difference, as we remarked previously, is style. The only difference is style, how you roll out that foreign policy. But the actual underlying policy is three-front war, proxy war against Russia and Ukraine, proxy war against pretty much everybody in the Middle East, the axis of resistance against Hamas, you could say, but that's only uh, window dressing for a bigger geopolitical play that involves the Islamic Republic of Iran, of course. That's the sort of the end game. That's the all roads lead to Iran, all paths lead to Persia. So the other front, of course, is on the Pacific Rim. Taiwan, China, using Taiwan as a cudgel, uh, in order to poke the Chinese and use that opportunity really for the U.S. to build up its uh, military assets in the Pacific and sort of fortify its positions in increasingly precarious positions in places like the Korean Peninsula, for example, but also in Japan. So you can see how things are shaping up there. Three-front war, Nikki Haley would be, from a Republican point of view, the ideal person to execute uh, a major military escalation on three fronts, push the world and the United States towards World War III. And as we've also said previously, the deep state's already chosen their vice president. Vice president, very important. Vice President, head of the National Security Council, de facto in any administration, and will be given a pretty substantial foreign policy portfolio. Look at Joe Biden. He oversaw the debacle in Ukraine and prepped it for the disaster that we are all seeing unfold over the last two years. So who's that deep state? Eminence Gris, as they say, the gray eminence. Who's that going to be? It's going to be Mike Pompeo. That's your vice president. So he's been uh, auditioning and pining for that or a major appointment. That would be the appointment. It's not presidential material, but certainly he will be the Dick Cheney of this decade uh, if he's allowed to get into power. We thought that was going to be on the coattails of Trump, but Pompeo stabbed Trump uh, in the back uh, when everybody else was plunging the knives in Trump. Pompeo basically piled in uh, with everybody else. So that I think... Donald Trump values loyalty among all other traits and characteristics in his inner circle. So I think that more or less cancels Mike Pompeo's chances, I think, of being Trump's VP. But hey, like anything can happen in Washington. Some meeting could happen, some agreement, power broking agreement could happen, and Trump would be, uh, they would say to Donald, we'll give you the presidency, but you're going to have to take the new Dick Cheney in as your VP, and the rest is history. The rest uh, could be Armageddon. And that is no exaggeration. How about we take a break right now with the station TNT, today's news talk. I'm Patrick Cunningham. We'll be back on the other side with our very special guest and friend, Freddie Ponton. So don't go away. You should hear what George Eliasson is talking about. Donald Trump's wolves. Now, we've talked about the Colorado case, the 14th Amendment case, and the judge has denied uh, the motion to dismiss. Now, if you don't remember, the suit cites the 14th Amendment clause banning those who participate or assist in the insurrection from taking office. And they're making this legal argument based on Trump's actions before and on January 6th. And when they claim that thousands of his supporters were creating an act of sedition at the Capitol. During January 6th, um, Trump actually offered to call the National Guard in. He told the protesters to keep things peaceful. And this is all 
public knowledge. This isn't a political action. They're trying to control once again who can run for the office of president and who cannot. War of the Worlds with George Eliason on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. The light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles, and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk, and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk so many people who had no history of heart illnesses have got it now or blood clotting after the COVID-19 vaccination. Punish those who hurt people with COVID madness. Lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. I'm your host, Patrick Kenningson. You're listening to TNT. Today's news talk, we're in the first hour of this live broadcast, and we've been covering the international scene, uh, specifically what's breaking in the Middle East, huge geopolitical implications. It's also going to have a big impact on the 2024 election in the United States. We'll be talking more about that election as primary season is just around the corner. We're nearly in December, and you, you know what that means. They're tightening up the screws for the big race, and that begins uh, well and truly in January, and that is going to have huge implications globally so we'll always keep an eye on that we'll keep the corner of our eye on the united states uh, and how that election is shaping out specifically whether donald trump is going to make it or not into the race if he's not going to be weighed down with lawfare again we'll cover more of this in the second hour because it's beginning to shape up and it's looking interesting indeed however let's go back to the middle east right now and i want to welcome onto the stage independent journalist researcher from france very pleased he's joining us us on the program, Freddie Ponton. How are you, Freddie? Hey, I'm good, Patrick. It's good to be with you today. It's great to see you as well, Freddie. It's been a while since we've uh, seen you. We're, we're, we're now in vision on TNT, so we've gone from uh, audio to audio and video, so it's great to have you back on Technicolor, Freddie. And Freddie, um, uh, I know you've been you've been researching uh, and you've been posting. Uh, you've been really kind of leading the way, I think, in like pointing out uh, some of the main points and then debunking a lot of things that have just been exposed as completely psyops, if you will, uh, debunking propaganda, but also pointing people to things that are not being discussed very much in the mainstream media. And I know your latest uh, work is uh, particularly important. Is you know share this new kind of intelligence uh coming out of gaza and why why it's relevant why it's important right now go ahead well it's of course there's different um section of this conflict that needs to be explained and i think it's really important to go back to basics you know when you look at conflicts especially a conflict that have lasted for more than 70 years. I think it's important to really address the vacuum, you know, to use the word of uh, Secretary General of the United Nations, Guterres, because everything does not happen in a vacuum. It's something that has happened uh, over the years, and we can clearly see now that things are evolving in terms of uh, how uh, the Israeli government is willing to handle this crisis. So at this moment in time, I'm sure you follow that like most other people interesting in this particular uh, conflict, uh, the uh, release of hostages. But uh, we have to uh, come to terms with this because this, this is not going to last forever. 
And it's quite clear that uh, Netanyahu has outlined his uh, strategy, the day after tomorrow's strategy, uh, and it is very likely that it will resume his, um, his bombarding and his uh, uh, war on the uh, population of Gaza, this genocide. Now, a lot of people don't like the word genocide. They, they're not very comfortable with the, the principle, but uh, really, you don't need to really believe me or anybody else. You know, the, the best people to talk about genocide are people that have actually historian uh, that talks about genocide, uh, especially if they are Jewish themselves and they understand they've dedicated their life to study uh, various kind of Holocaust uh, or genocide that has taken place around the world. Now, one of the best in the world is a gentleman called Raz Sigal. He's an uh, Israeli historian. He resides uh, in the United States. Uh, and uh, he, I think he's... he's uh, taking care of the genocide studies program at the Stockton University. So really a, a, a master weight, if you will, a heavyweight in uh, understanding what genocide is. And uh, listening to him, reading about his work, it's clearly uh, uh, recently came uh, forward and uh, uh, expressing the fact that he couldn't, he could only come to the conclusion that what we are seeing in Gaza is a genocide. So when Raza Segal says it's a genocide, you better believe it. So that's where I stand at this moment in time, Patrick, is looking at a war crimes, amongst many others, which I've described in many threads on Twitter. But uh, this one is uh, really, uh, I think, on, on the top of the list because uh, uh, we need to see uh, actions uh, not by the international community, because international community doesn't mean absolutely anything, uh, but by the international criminal court. We don't need to look anywhere else. This belongs to the ICC with Karim Khan, the main prosecutors, and he has to do his job, because right now what is happening is absolutely uh, you know, unacceptable. And there is absolutely no legitimacy whatsoever from the United Nations Security Council nor the ICC unless we get a ceasefire and unless those responsible for this genocide are brought to court. So that's where I'm standing. It's a very strong point, very, and this is not negotiable. And, and you've also, and others have pointed out, Freddie, on, on this issue of the hostage exchanges, very important. Um, obviously, on the Israeli side, if you turn into Western media, all you see is, is stories of Israeli hostages uh, being you know, exchanged, repatriated with their families, reunited with their families and communities and so forth. You don't see anything really on the Palestinian side, uh, but it's a, a hugely lopsided in terms of the story. You have, you know, maybe a few hundred uh, Israeli hostages on the uh, Hamas side that need to be released. Some of them have already been released, but on the Palestinian side, uh, you have prisoners, but they're not really prisoners, and many have been abducted, uh, detained without charge, and thousands, in fact, since October 7th. In fact, and I, know, I don't know if you uh, have the numbers on this, Freddie, but the amount of uh, hostage stroke prisoners that the Israelis have released out of the 9,000 they have incarcerated in a gulag mm -hmm. system dotted around the occupied territories, they have rearrested and, and <laughs> recaptured more people than they've released since this four-day truce 
so-called truce began. So there's no yes. difference in the number of Palestinian detainees. And you said in a tweet here, there's no such thing as Palestinian prisoners. They are all hostages of Israel, the occupying force. Obligations of the detaining uh, power regarding the allowances of detainees are enshrined in both articles 98 and 81 of the Fourth Geneva Convention. Israel does not honor this. I think that's a pretty clear case Freddie, just on that basis, but um, just just give us your perspective on this, and just kind of give people an idea of how completely disproportionate this this equation is, despite how it's being covered in the media as this sort of even exchange. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. First, I'll, I'll probably answer your questions with regards to uh, the release of hostages and the recapturing. Uh, uh, of hostages. So uh, right now the number stands, and they might have varied, I don't know, I have these numbers from yesterday, but it's about around 116 uh, hostages uh, that has been uh, uh, basically uh, liberated uh, from the Palestinian side. But we can see 116 have uh, been, uh, 17, sorry, have been recaptured by the Israeli in the West Bank. So all in all, what we are saying is a, is a trade of hostages. On one side, you, you're getting hostages out of the prison, and on the other side, new ones are basically being thrown in jail. And you can be quite sure that most of them have will never face trial or no charges will be uh, brought. These are just uh, administrative detentions, and they can last for a period of six months, and then they can be reconducted indefinitely. So, uh, as I say, Israel do what, what it's been doing for a very long time. I'm glad today this is on um, broadcasted internationally and for the people to really see exactly the extent of crime and abuse and this con the contempt and the, the, the disrespect for international law Israel has displayed over the last past we uh, month and a half. So uh, this is very important to address this matter because hostages uh, and, and, and prisoners are two different things. Prisoner refer to prisoner of wars uh, or you're a prisoner when you have been thrown in jail because you committed a crime. And that needs to be decided by a judge. That's mean you're actually facing justice and you've been given access to all the tools that you should be uh, uh, able to access uh, if you are a democracy or if you are being uh, basically detained uh, uh, within a, a democratic government or by a democratic government. Well, in Israel, it's a different case. None of that is true. And uh, I thought it was important to, uh, uh, to, to do a thread that just break down exactly what are the rights, what are the uh, uh, so-called free zoners entitled to and the question that I'm raising here and the arguments uh, that I'm uh, making here is that if they are not treated under circumstances which are very clearly outlined by the Geneva Conventions, but also by uh, various treaties as well as the international humanitarian law, then they cannot be considered prisoners. And if they're not prisoners, that's mean they have been detained against their will with no trial, with no course of justice pending. Uh, these are hostages. And that's the argument of the fraud, which uh, has been kind of uh, going uh, around on, on, on social media, especially on X. And uh, uh, I, I wanted really to, to, to explain to people that, you know, these uh, young kids, because this is what we we are talking about, women and young kids, sometimes men, of course, 
uh, which you know uh, are subjected to uh, violations of uh, their prisoners' rights. Uh, they don't get visitation. They have no contact with their families, um, and then uh, some of these detention centers were building, but other were just cages outside on the open door. I think they've stopped it now, but are, uh, this has not been verified. But are, the, the, these kids were and women were just in prison. Uh, completely outdoor in a cage, you know, with uh, uh, sometimes a plate of rice for eight to ten prisoners. So uh, many are wounded. They've been wounded during the arrest. Some of them were shot. Some of them are in shackles. And uh, they uh, are given very the bare minimum medicines like, you know, <laughs> aspirins or maybe uh Ibuprofen, you know, but this is not something like, you know, you would expect from a, a country which has a system, you know, it's all about having a system that works and a system that provides absolutely uh, all the necessaries, the tools and the, uh, the minimum comfort for those that are detained, especially for this prisoner that are detained for a long period of time. So, yeah, this thread, I hope, uh, has uh, enlightened uh, a lot um, uh, at least uh, enlarge people's view about the conditions under which the Palestinians have been incarcerated and in comparison with what we've all seen on many videos circulating on social media about the release of this prisoner, which seems to not have been ill-treated, they seems to be in good health, and most of them doesn't seem terrorized around the, these uh, soldiers, this resistance group uh, of uh, Hamas uh, waving at them, smiling, cheering, uh, you know, thanking them. Uh, so it obviously begs a, a lot of questions. You know, how come a so-called terrorist group is treating uh, th these uh, hostages uh, with the best of their ability? And on the other side, the so-called democracy uh, beating up, uh, violating every human right that you can possibly think of. And we're talking about everything from, you know, uh, sexual abuse, castration, uh, you know, deprivement of food, uh, psychological and physical abuse, and on and on. The list is like unbelievable. And I think that this is the time that people are waking up, you know, around the world. It doesn't matter from which walk of life you're coming from, from which you know to whose god you bow to it doesn't matter it's not religion it's about humans it's about the human family and if israel wants to be part of the human family then they have to obey some of the rules that were set forth because these abuse have been pretty much uh, outlined and exposed and it was never again never again for the jewish people but never again for anyone for the human unfortunately, race. Yeah. It's for the human race. And unfortunately, it seems that there's a double standard here uh, only because uh, Israel is uh, obviously uh, enjoying a, a strong support and a kind of, a, you know, uh, a pass, if you will, uh, under the influence uh, of the United States. If the, UN, uh, the United States was not there, I don't think uh, Israel will today be able to do what they're doing. So... It's very questionable, very questionable what's going on, Patrick.
Freddie, let's put our uh, let's put our journalist hat, let's put our media hat on for the moment. So you have a story here. You have uh, hostage swaps. You have releases. Normally, I would expect the global media to be reporting both sides because there has to be two sides to this, and both sides of the story are very compelling. It, that's what I would assume. But this isn't what's happening. On one side, you have people being released from Hamas captivity uh, and happy about their conditions of their release, waving goodbye to their captors, oh, smiling and saying what a good experience it was. They didn't harm us. They allowed us to carry out regular activities as much as could be expected under those conditions and so forth. So that th there's a story right there. The other story, Freddie, is equally compelling. It's children being released. It's women and children. These There was a boy released with, a, with bro, all broken fingers and a broken arm yesterday that said they beat him before they, they found out he was going to be released. They beat him last week. They didn't give him medical care. And when the Red Cross took him yesterday, it was the first time that his broken bones had been attended to. Um, they basically beat the living you-know-what out of him. Uh, and the day before the release, so the night before, he was beaten again. So this was a child, a teenager who's been incarcerated for a period of time. Then we had a boy with half of his skull missing, Freddie, um, talking to the media. He's been released as well. What happened to this boy while he was in one of these uh, gulags that the Israelis are running? I don't know what to call it because uh, here's the other point, Freddie. So, so the media is missing this great story, Freddie. This is such an important comparison. It's like ready-made for for media, isn't it? It's You've already got... The, the, the yin and the yang of this story. But in a country like France, administrative detention or in Europe, it's illegal. It's not acceptable. You can't run a justice system like this and just keep people detained indefinitely, like thousands of them. And so, like, is Israel really a democracy if this is how they run their sort of, you know, law enforcement, if you will. I don't even want to call it that because it's an illegal occupation. But um, certainly there's there, there's a discussion to be had at least about the conditions of their, you know, imprisonment or their capture or whatever. But uh, your, your thoughts on this, I just find it unbelievable. This is one of the best stories to be laid out without, you don't even need to do any journalism. You just need to watch it and comment. But that's not happening. Go ahead, Freddie. Well, I mean, as I said, the, the numbers are staggering. I don't think people really realize, and my numbers are not even the, the latest one because nobody has access now anymore as far as reporting the numbers of Palestinians. Uh, but are, if you look at, you know, in between six to 10,000, probably the numbers already are just above 10,000 detainees in this uh, uh, prison system. Uh, we know a lot of these, uh, at least, you know, 40%, uh, if not more, are kids, you know. Uh, and uh, they all come from, as I say, uh, from the uh, the Palestinian population uh, as a whole. So they come from uh, East Jerusalem, they come from the West Bank, they come from the Gaza Strip, and all of them are cut off from their family, cut off from their lawyers, cut off from pretty much anything. And, you know, it, it sounds very, very perhaps a, a detail, you know, but uh, even the price of anything you can buy for the canteen system is, you know, three or four times the price that it would normally cost you outside. So these kids have no money. They, they cannot really uh, buy anything outside to feed themselves decently. 
And then on the other side as well, don't forget that the men's provide uh, in many of these households in Palestine. The men's is the one that brings the, the food on the table. So when they go to jail, who's providing for the wife, who's providing for the daughters, who's providing for the women? No one. And as part of the international law, it's quite clear and it's well articulated, uh, at least in uh, two uh, major uh, sections of uh, the fourth Geneva Conventions, namely the Articles 98 and 81, that uh, there is uh, Israel is under the obligation uh, to, um, uh, to to say to uh, to provide an allowance to the detainee, and that is very well enshrined into this uh, fourth Geneva Convention. Which means that if they were making money at this time, they need to compensate. Uh, the family that should normally receive money, so they don't end up in, uh, you know, in in trouble with food and bills and electricity or whatever they have to pay for. All that is completely disregarded by the Israeli governments. And as I said, the list is very long. Uh, and I'm just wondering now. I mean, I'm coming to the point that I'm. This has been going on for so long, Patrick. How come on earth a country, a rogue state, not a democracy? a rogue state that is used violence against a population for which they're responsible for, it's still today out there and people are supporting them by the millions in the United States and even in the Western countries in the old continents. I mean, how can people, is it disinformation? Is it people are not aware of what's going on there? Is it the lack of coverage? Uh, I find the information very accessible. A lot of people have done some work on, on Gaza, on Palestine, on the West Bank and East Jerusalem. The information is available. It's like almost people are not interested. Uh, it's almost like they have dehumanized the Palestinian to a point that people don't even look at them as Palestinians or Gazans or West Bank people. They just, you know, oh, it's Palestine's trouble region. We don't really understand what's going on, but it's bad. That's all we know. But nobody actually dares to dig in and trying to understand exactly the nature of this conflict. <coughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take so, it one further. I'll take it one further, Freddie. Uh, there's historic revisionism sorry. going on. Even though people have all the facts, as you said, they have the information. The history is pretty clear. It's documented as well. But everyone's just basically saying, well, that history that you showed me, those UN resolutions, that's your opinion. I hear this all the time now. It just drives me absolutely insane, Freddie. They say, oh, that's your opinion. Uh, this is what I believe. And so everybody's engaged in this kind of like, uh, you know, historical revisionism i don't know how to describe it like rewriting history in real time to suit whatever your sort of political allegiances are whether it's to you know the u.s government the state of israel or whoever um they really don't care about the facts so i'm seeing this more and more it's very very frustrating and on, on we're going to take a break and on the other side you also uh retweeted and commented on michael schellenberger uh who's been doing some work on the twitter files but talking about global censorship I think that plays into what you're talking about, Freddie. But also, I want to get your opinion on Elon Musk's visit. It seems that he was summoned to Israel this week by his friend, B new friend, Bibi Netanyahu, and President Herzog. I want to get your comments on this on the other side. I'm with Freddie Ponton, independent researcher, journalist. You're listening to TNT. Today's news talk still in the first hour. We'll be right back in just a moment. Stay right there. 
with his expert analysis and opinion. This is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. While the fiery images of mostly peaceful protests coming out of central Dublin over the weekend were disturbing, and although no one condones arson, property damage, and violence against police, it was good to see the Irish finally get their Irish up and direct their ire where it properly belongs, against their own government, which has been selling out the Irish people for decades now. What triggered the upheaval? The stabbing of a young woman and two little children, including a five-year-old girl who is still in hospital with life-threatening injuries, by a Muslim maniac who was, you guessed it, known to police. The guard had disarmed the man just last month after finding him with an illegal knife. They knew he was a problem and they did nothing to stop these attacks. Ireland is actively promoting its own destruction. It is committing suicide in exactly the same way the United Kingdom committed social suicide. The number one name for new boys in Galway last year, Mohammed for the first time ever. Ireland needs to get a hold of the fact that the enemy is within the gates and their own government are the ones that have opened the doors. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Asthma is a growing problem, especially among children. Asthma affects the quality of life for millions like me every single day. My name is Chris Draft, and I have asthma. And I've spent more than a decade in the NFL tackling asthma on and off the field. Join me and the EPA in helping people control their asthma. Asthma is a lung condition that can be controlled through medication and by avoiding things that can make it worse. Three steps are the solution to controlling asthma. Step one, talk to a doctor. Step two, make a plan. And step three, Get rid of things that can make it worse. Asthma can be tackled. For more information on asthma, log on to epa.gov asthma. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. Welcome back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to TNT Today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We're going live and direct to you in both audio and video now on TNT. You can catch the live stream if you're listening or on the podcasting platforms, on the stream on tntradio.live, or just hop over to YouTube and see the live stream in real time. You can also follow TNT Radio on X, Twitter, uh, look for TNT Radio, and our red logo, the spinning red globe. Follow our Twitter feed. We've got great breaking news updates literally coming off the conveyor belt at the TNT media machine uh, in real time. So that's where you want to be looking on Twitter X uh, as well. Joining us on the line right now, very special guest, friend, and a great cohort in terms of Middle Eastern analysis, Freddie Ponton, joining us on the live link right now. Freddie, we're talking about this issue of censorship a lot over this past year with the Twitter files. I know Michael Schellenberger and some of these other independent uh, journalists, investigators are still kind of sifting through and still making exposures on this. In the interest of time, we might not be able to give it a proper analysis, but um, just to walk us through what's going on there. And then I want to hear what your opinion is on Elon Musk's visit. I don't know what to call it, a public relations visit. Maybe it was a, a last-ditch effort to uh, keep from being canceled on this platform. I don't know. But um, your thoughts on all this, Freddie? Well, yeah, it's an unbelievable story with Schallenberger, which really coming out well, via a, a whistleblower with a trove of documents, Patrick. It's just massive. It's explosive. Uh, these are really uh, documents that, that address uh, uh, quick 
key questions, I, I would say, that was not answered during the inquiry with regards to the Twitter files or the Facebook files, you know. So it really uh, uh, basically uh, uh, provide a very comprehensive pictures of the birth of what Michael is known for referring to as the censorship industrial complex. So it's very important to see how a company known as the Cyber Threat Intelligence League or the CTIL, which is the name of this file, the CTIL file, which uh, officially began as uh, the volunteer project of data scientists and defense and intelligence veterans, uh, which uses different uh, tactics, you know, and technology. Uh, uh, and it, uh, it, it appears that uh, their knowledge and their expertise has been absorbed uh, into multiple uh, official projects of the United States government, including, obviously, the Department of Homeland Security. So it's greatly concerning because if you go through the file and starting to read the document, which is what I'm currently doing because it's so massive, you're starting to understand something that something that is very bizarre, and we have a, a, an Israeli guy, which is the founder of this company, that seems also to be very much involved and in opening the doors at very level into the national security apparatus of the United States. So that really means two things. On one side, they are capable of basically bringing ideas forward, technology forward to spy, basically, and to control the information, uh, not only for the COVID-19, but many uh, other uh, major international uh, events like the war in Ukraine and so on. And per perhaps even today, the uh, uh, the the, the Israel-Gaza uh, conflict. So uh, this is very, very intriguing on how these uh, non-government officials are able to literally penetrate the, the deep national security systems and have them borrowing or, you know, influencing them in, in using this technology against their own citizens and from people around the world. So it's explosive in nature. I will cover it probably another time, but uh, really, to, you, you, you're you going to be amazed how deep this the, it goes in, into the rabbit hole. I mean, this is crazy. This is really a uh, just a different link, link from the Twitter file, in my opinion. This, this is the big, the big concern people have, Freddie, is that uh, a lot of good uh, journalists, including Schellenberger and others uh, on the platform, have exposed all of these kind of, you know, people, agents from the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, the DHS, uh, a few other little sort of sub-agencies that have been formed. They're embedded in Twitter under Jack Dorsey, uh, the previous owner, when it was a public company. So they're all, Facebook has more ex-CIA, FBI employees, NSA employees. Than than Twitter did. Now Musk purged uh, a lot of these people from the from the company, but uh, I I would think that there's quite there's quite a few still in there, and we will never know for sure because a lot a lot of LinkedIn profiles have been scrubbed and things like that. So we will never we'll never know for sure. But that's the big concern, Freddie, is that there's a lot of pressure on Elon Musk because of the European Digital Services Act. Now with the whole uh, Israel Palestine situation, he's being you know attacked by the ADL, which is a sort of Israeli lobby attack vector in in America, and there's all this pressure to regulate speech on the platform. And so it seems like, Freddie, a perfect storm that all of the sudden that Elon Musk shows up in Israel. Not after the conflict, Freddie, 
during the conflict. What are your thoughts on this visit? I, I find this to be problematic on so many different levels. I don't even know where to start, but go ahead. Well, I think there is a, a double play in, in terms of uh, Ilan, you know, I think it's misunderstood. You know, we know his problem with the ADL. We understand that he's, uh, he's into a, uh, there is a course of justice with regards to a, a complaint uh, that was uh, uh, dropped and, and tabled recently. Uh, but all that is for the show. I, I think there is something much profound in what we are seeing at the moment. And I, I, and I'm questioning really uh, uh, Elon morality in, in the sense that uh, he's right now uh, looking after his business. And uh, I think he, he's, clearly, he's been clearly warned that uh, if he doesn't go and start the censorship, you know, because the, the war uh, on information, the information war with regards to the conflict uh, is not really uh, uh, going... Uh, uh, as good as Israel would have thought. I think they, they were quite confident with their expertise in Hasbara uh, doctrines and many other ways they have to control information or manipulate information that they will be on top of their game, but uh, clearly they're not. And they're, clearly, they're not just losing, they're getting a serious beating on social media. And uh, they cannot get their point across because everything is manufactured. And you've seen pretty much my thread on... On, on Twitter and so on. The, the, these are basically simple things to do to uh, to to debunk this uh, this propaganda that is constant. You know, it's desperate at best, and uh, and I find it very difficult. You know, to 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 look at it because every single time I look at one of these video, or one of the posts or comments or whatever they're saying. It's whether a lie or whether it is something that has been manufactured to lead you to believe uh, that Israel is the victims and that they're doing it to protect the Israeli children, but also to protect the Palestinian children. Uh, these people are not interested in protecting any Palestinians. They're not interested in protecting or making any difference between the infrastructures, the Palestinians, Hamas, for them. Everything has to go, Patrick. And that is the only sad conclusion that I can come up with. And Elon Musk is a tech guy. He's not a foreign policy. He's not an advisor. He's not a government official. So he's coming in his capacity as a CEO of a company. Right? And as a CEO of a company, there are certain rules that you must apply to you. I've been an executive of companies, uh, you know, on the international level, and there are things you can do and there are things that you can't. Now, I understand he's a very wealthy man and I understand that he has pretty much the liberty to do whatever he wants and probably to say whatever he wants. However, uh, this is a conflict that is not of his making. This is a problem that has lasted for 70 years. And for him to come and call the people of the, of Gaza, the Gazans, murderers, that needs to be educated to not turn into murderers, this is extremely dangerous uh, language with serious ramifications and consequences because you are not coming with a message of peace. You are taking basically a side of the conflict saying that Palestinians are murderers, uh, they kill babies, they behead people, and uh, they need to be killed in order to have peace without 
without addressing anything that has to do with the Al-Nakba, without addressing any things to do with the annexations, with the war crimes that the United Nations uh, committees have uh, basically uh, reported on for the last past 50 years. Uh, so it's very, very damaging for him as a person and as a business leader to come and to, to, to have a, a video made of him where he is almost, we feel that he's uncomfortable to say what he says, but he says it. And that's all that people is going to remember is that he's actually is in line with Herzog, the president of Israel, and that it's okay to kill people. On, on national television. I, I think it's outrageous, to be honest. And it's, it's certainly it's, absolutely not his job to do that. It's very compromising, isn't it, Freddie? Because, you know, the best way to avoid any future, uh, you know, con uh, problems and, you know, accusations of hypocrisy or, you know, this, this thing turns in the wrong direction for Israel, which kind of it already has in the global court of public opinion. I mean, there should be significant backlash for that so it's like he's compromised he could just not weigh in i mean it's it's, it's not to volunteer to voluntarily go and do this type of a uh i don't know what to call it virtue signaling tour to show that uh he's not an enemy of uh of israel he's not anti-semitic he seems to be overcompensating and then israel's taking advantage of that they're using him to increase their clout Okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a quick uh, review of history, Freddie, which you're well aware of. Maybe you can comment on this. During the Second World War, there was a very flamboyant leader uh, in, in Northern Europe with a little mustache, and a lot of rich industrialists were flying to Germany to get photo ops with him. Politicians, <laughs> celebrities, everybody was hanging out before the early, in the late 1930s, before the war turned into World War II, but what did that do? That gave, It's a type of an endorsement, isn't it? It does give confidence to the regime that they're doing the right thing. They have power behind them, and it actually encourages them to do more of what they're doing before. This is what's happening throughout history, Freddie. And I just see this. Well, in, never, in terms never, of, never, yeah, go ahead. Never underestimate the popularity of Nazism. It's always been popular amongst the elites. That's what history tells you. And look at Ukraine, society, look at Ukraine, look at Ukraine. Ex exactly. I, and there's so many other examples. But uh, I think when for those that read and th those that are interested in, in understanding the, the history of history, then you will come to the conclusion that it's always been popular amongst the elite. And uh, there is some kind of fascination about the subject, the ideology, and it's also esoteric in nature. So... The cross, you know, it's very easy when you start to 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 cross the understanding of many practices, including the Kabbalah and all these kind of things and Nazism, and it's all crossing many different paths. But at the end of the day, it all comes back to pretty much the the same, which is the control of knowledge, and on the other side, the control of people. And it's I about think this power. Is it's about power, isn't it, Freddie? Yes, it is about power, but power is the control of knowledge and the control of people. The history is written by the victorious, as we all know, so it doesn't really matter. Make sure you win. The rest is a detail. But uh, knowledge has been uh, kept away from us from a very long time, you know, and uh, if you uh, do satellites long enough in the diplomatic worlds and in uh, in the elite world, you start to find out a little bit more about 
you know, stories and, and things that uh, the, the main public uh, is, is, is not even uh, uh, aware of or wouldn't even conceive this as a possibility. So, as I said, you know, you, we have to be conscious of a lot of things that happens in the world are due and it's hard for people to understand how deep it goes because they don't have this knowledge. It's been reserved amongst, you know, this, uh, as I said, this, uh, this very, very uh, private schools and these uh, secret schools where you learn, you know, this kind of knowledge. But if you're not part of it, you don't get to understand what it is. And it's really important to understand what it is so that you can understand what Israel is up to. And you can understand the people around that are shaping the world, trying to shape the world in the way they see the world. The way we see the world, Patrick, is not the way these people see the world. So in order to understand and to be able to explain, articulate what we are saying, we need to gather that knowledge that has been hidden from us. And that's what I'm doing in parallel to my work as a journalist, is not just work on the playing field and hoping that I'll be able to better understand what's going on. You need to go off track, off road, and starting to dig a little bit further in in the history of Nazism, really digging into this uh, history of this elite group and these various societies that have evolved uh, over the years, understanding, you know, uh, who is in control of the planet and how long have they been in control of this planet? What are they hiding from us? And how come that over two, three, four thousand years, we're still doing war. We are still basically maintaining the same elite in power for such a long, long, long period of time. They've always been in power. They've always been in control. And that's why genocide, that's why sacrifice, because these are pretty much sacrifice lambs that are killed in front of our bare eyes. This is to accustom people to genocide, to killing. It's okay to kill. So you're kind of, you know, make it uh, accessible to people now. Now you can see it. It's okay. You know, don't be scared. We'll, we'll get more coming. It's, it's unbelievable, but that's unfortunately true. Yeah, it, it is being normalized. I, I'm I'm hearing it in in the discussions. I'm seeing this kind of very casual attitude towards you know even as the numbers. I mean, I was citing the the the, the recent numbers, Freddie, out of uh, the the Gaza, twenty thousand dead, twenty thousand dead, and five five or thousand or more still missing, unaccounted for. We can presume they're dead, and people are just rolling their eyes saying, oh, well, that's just what Hamas is saying. And they're collateral damage. They're in the way they, they should have left when they had a chance. I can't believe this conversation is getting worse, Freddie, rather than better. But uh, that's why we're here. We're here to try to straighten some of this out and bring some clarity, shine some light on these issues. We really appreciate people like you, Freddie Ponton, independent journalist in France, giving it to us straight. Thank you so much for joining us on TNT. You bet. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen. That's Freddie Ponton. Follow him on Twitter, X Twitter, LFC News Media, at LFC News Media. You'll see the links on my feed as well. Top of the hour news headlines coming up. We'll be right back with a whole lot more on the other side, so stay right there. <laughs>